0: Today's episode carries a trigger warning because the interview contains an in-depth discussion of suicide, grief, and mental health issues. I know this can be distressing, so please consider before listening. And if you or someone you know is struggling emotionally, please call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, 1-800-273-TALK, 1-800-273-8255. The funny thing about tragedy is that it stands side by side with comedy for a reason. This is my conversation with Janetta Barry. What if the truth came in a gel cap and we could just pop it in our mouths and forget about it? Well, it doesn't, and we can't. But we can laugh in the face of reality while plotting our survival. Welcome to the Truth Tastes Funny Podcast. I am your host, Hirsch Rappen. and if my guests can handle the truth, so can you. Open wide, folks. Here it comes. When we say the truth tastes funny, sometimes we interpret it as strange, weird, or quite honestly not the truth that we would like to hear or deal with. And part of the reason I started this show was to allow ourselves to search for a means of coping with the absurdities and insanities and, and tough realities of life. Jeanetta Barry is the founder of a nonprofit called World Jenny's Day and also a founder of the epiphany process. Janetta lost her daughter, Jen in 2005, to suicide. Jenny was 16 years old at the time. But through the grief, she discovered a process for coming out of that void, I guess you would say. Uh, Janetta, thank you for coming on.
1: Well, thank you for having me. Honor and privilege.
0: Thank you. So tell us a little bit about why you created the epiphany process.
1: Yeah, I, I used to be a motivational, a sales motivational speaker and trainer, and I was pretty good at it, you know, with all the rah-rah and people would go away very fired up and driven and, and the sales would would come in with it. But I noticed that people would come back and say, we need another dose of genetal or another fix. And I realized that I was their drug, that They thought they needed to get my energy artificially to be able to do anything and didn't know how to do it for themselves. And I felt out of integrity. So I took myself off for a little while and started studying the intuitive side of my abilities because after all, CEOs will tell you that their greatest way of making decisions is their gut feeling, their intuition. Most accurate. And again, I started finding people coming back to me saying, We trust your intuition, ours is lousy. And yet we're all intuitive. It's just a skill that one has to practice and expand. So again, I felt out of integrity. Whilst I was questioning this, this happened with Jen. She and I had an enormous argument whilst I was trying to put safekeeping house rules into place. And she she killed herself in really basically rage and I, I found her. And for the from the moment I found her, I, I knew my my life was very different and I went down to ground zero on every level of my life. Every single part of it just fell to bits. And I was trying to carry on as normal as I could with my intuitive workshops, but inside me was dying. I was in this big, black, deep, dark hole, feeling like I was living an emotional lifetime prison sentence. And one day I was walking mindlessly along the street going, what the am I doing on this planet? And, and in fact, I'd even then planned my own suicide secretly three times going, I can't go on. But this particular day I was walking along the street knowing I had to cross the road. And I kind of stepped off the pavement and wove between the traffic. How I didn't get hit, I don't know. And I got to the middle of the road and I realized that it was like a, a real epiphany moment. I'd forgotten that I had choice. I had gone into this thing that as a loving mother, my label for the rest of my life was the mother whose daughter committed suicide after an argument. And that was it. And I forgot that there's more to it. It doesn't have to be the label and it doesn't have to define me for the rest of my life and make me a bad mother by doing that. And I carried on walking aimlessly, weaving through the traffic and got to the other side, stepped on the pavement and realized I had had my crossing over moment. I call it my crossing over moment, crossing over the street, crossing over in a new way of deciding how to deal with things. And also, I got over and crossed safely. So I didn't physically cross over to another dimension. And I made the pledge. I, I realized I couldn't take another. Minute of living the way I had been. And so I set about and started researching and studying, knowing I had to find accurate ways to get through this loss. Because I I tried other modalities and therapies, and they were helpful. Uh, I mean, make no bones about it, they were great, but there was always a missing. And I knew I had to find something that could accurately get me through for the rest of my life. To be able to sit here and have a conversation with somebody like you, for for starters, and it was tough. It was really, really tough because I always joke that I didn't have a geneticist around to help me. Because once I started moving things, I was able to start helping other people. And now the epiphany process, I've helped people all over the world for 14 years now, online. I've helped people in terrorist attack situations with their PTSD. I've helped people who are in bed, not eating or sleeping or washing or, and even self-harming and writing suicide notes. They're out of bed, living lives that are filled with purpose and, and open-hearted understanding and appreciation and able to deal with the down times. Cause that's the big thing. They don't go away. And so that's what I've been able to do with with what happened.
0: Now, going back to the, the time before Jenny's suicide, you had mentioned to me earlier that you were trying to es- establish a, a protected, safe home for her. What were the struggles prior to this enormous argument?
1: Yes. Yeah. It's a good question because most people miss that beat when I, I talk this story and it's, and it's a very sound one. We'd been walking or walk with Jenny for, for four years. Actually, she'd always been m- my most testing child. From the moment they put her in my arms after she was born, she was a squiggly, squirmy, little, wormy being that was never comfortable in her skin. Never. I, I mean, a beautiful girl. Beautiful personality when she wasn't in that neurotic sense of being. Very wise when she wasn't, things would come out her mouth and I'd go, well, oh, where did that come from? But at the age of 14, she came to me and said, "Mum, I've been suicidal my whole life, I tried to choke myself in front of the mirror when I was seven. I haven't told anybody and I can feel now I've hit puberty. I'm just not coping. I I am scared. I'm going to do it. And we were in and out of rehabs and actually this was her fourth attempt. But what happens with this dynamic is because the person is feeling so out of control in their depression, they find ways to feel like they're in control. So that's where eating disorders kick in because it's the one thing they can control. And she had an eating disorder. But the other is how they can manipulate people to get what they want so that they feel like life's controllable. So there was a lot of manipulation going on and and rule-breaking.
0: Sometimes parents will get together around an incident and try to gauge whether it's a manipulation that's happening. With the drama, whether the ideation is something that they would seriously do or they're vocalizing it. And by vocalizing it, they're either manipulating the situation or they're getting something out that they would otherwise be keeping secret, which would be far more dangerous. You know, we're always trying to make sense of the signals that our children give. And you were saying something that sounded to me like it's possible that we're getting both. We're getting manipulated, and we're facing possibly a very serious situation.
1: Absolutely, um, I, I think the big thing is that what I've seen now in working with kids that are the age Jenny was at that time is that they're they're lacking coping skills, and they're lacking the ability to take extreme overthinking and extreme over emotionalizing and bring them into manageability. So what happens is when you're roller coastering between overthinking and feeling over emotional, you're out of control. You feel powerless. And the internal conversations are this is literally the type of conversations when I start working with these kids is you're a loser, you're boring, you know, you're worthless. So with that internal conversation going on, the only way they can express themselves in that anguish is to either burst out, hit out, or act out to feel as though they're okay and in control. So it's about being able to change those, well, not even change, but give the skills for that person to bring those conversations and that internal viewpoint of themselves into a new way of looking at themselves so that they see whatever it is they're judging in themselves has value. And when they start getting the value of what they think is worthless, they get it. They sit there going, I'm okay. I'm all right. I'm cool
0: one thing that adults and children are equally adept at is putting on a front of stability and control and and mental health that we're so convinced that revealing that that issue will be devastating that the thing we hear most often when something tragic like this happens is that they were happy. They had everything they were doing. You know, it's obviously not always a situation where there had been a a tremendous amount of acting out, but something was going on and, and then we failed to see it. And we see this in adults too. Oh, they were so happy. They were so giving. They were doing this. I thought they, I thought they were doing fine. And that's terrifying to us because we're, as human beings, we're used to, to recognizing signs. That's how we operate. Society operates that way. We see a sign and we read it and that's, but something else is happening here.
1: Yeah. And actually what you've pointed out there is, is, is another thing is that people think that people typically show their deep depression and suicidal ideation in a specific way. And it comes in many guises and forms. It can be where you can really see the person is. They're not getting out of bed and they're not eating and they're not doing anything. That's a very typical one. But Jenny, when, when I took, when Jenny came to me at 14, I took her to the family doctor and the, and the doctor said, so what's the problem today? And Jenny said, I'm suicidal. And she went, no, Jenny, you're just feeling down. You're such a happy child. You've always got a smile on your face. And she just wouldn't listen. And Jenny had to say, please listen to me. I want to kill myself. And fortunately she, she said that because I think other kids just don't know how to express that even. So it yeah. it comes out in, in many, many, many ways, but the, the big thing is when that child can identify that they're needing they're needing help and they ask for help that's the big one it's when the ones that you don't know that's a challenge
0: and now we're looking at everything i use the word suspiciously i don't know why but we look everywhere for signs now because we're experiencing what i would call a global mental health crisis that's nothing that we don't already know but but we're aware that that's another reason for for this program is that we're all we're all in a similar catastrophe in the sense that we are all traumatized at the same time which Put the same which is yes yeah and we're and we've either experienced loss or we're looking at loss and and what we use that word that everyone always uses, unimaginable, unimaginable tragedy, because we cannot imagine how we would cope with it. And at the same time, we're constantly in fear of it. If you're a parent and you're worried about a child's mental health, or if you're an adult and you're worried about a a family member's mental health, there, there isn't anyone I can't imagine who doesn't either have issues themselves that's another thing that i want to talk about is what you went through but as far as where you got about nine months after jenny's passing where you started to to recognize that that black hole was not infinite right what what happened at that moment I just knew that the,
1: that I thought I had no choice, but I did have choice. But also at the same time, I had I realized that I had no choice to carry on. I, in other words, I didn't want that choice to carry on living the way I had. You know, people people put you under a lot of pressure, and um, a lot of things happen, and it and it can blindside you. And for me, I knew I had to become very clear and certain and specific about how the rest of my life would pan out. I couldn't say exactly how it would pan out, but I knew that it would be with a feeling of understanding, hope, being able to step back and see the bigger picture on what had happened, not just the one in front of me. Uh, and I knew that I had to find that.
0: With your memory of Jenny and now the legacy of Jenny, how do you, how do you frame the entire picture?
1: You know, it was a timeline. We released Jenny's because I'm actually from Africa. Always. Joke can say I'm a Marseille in disguise because I'm all of five foot and very, very pale and most Marseille are very tall and quite dark, but we we are from Africa and my son and I were releasing Jenny's ashes over the reed at, at, uh, south of Mombasa and I stood there and went, something meaningful has to come out of this senseless loss, something. And I knew it wasn't going to be add water and stir stuff. And the very first thing that I started questioning was science says that energy cannot be created or destroyed. It it completes itself in that version, that particular version, and then reforms into a new version of itself. So if that's the case, where's my daughter? Where, where's her energy? Where? Where's that energy gone and what's it vibrating and resonating at? And I started chronicling over four years, what that was about. And, uh, then in in the fifth year, I, I published Full Circle Rainbow, which is a very thin book because I couldn't make up the stuff to put in there. I could only put in things when I knew without a doubt that there, there was something there. And one of the things, by way of example, to not go too off track, was the unbelievable revelation after a lucid dream, where I realized the numbers seven and nine are so closely connected to Jenny, her birth date and year, and her death date and year. And both those dates all added up come to sevens and nines. For starters, we won't go on all the other parts of seven and nines to Jen. So it was things like that. And often, when something significant is about to happen, and I'm not quite sure, seven and nine start coming up within what we're working with. And and I know it's a form of communication that shows there's no separation. We're all interconnected. So, full circle rainbow, I thought, well, that's it. That'll help me for the rest of my life. But I could feel it wasn't. And I'd already started working with my process and then I thought, okay, well, the process is helpful and I'm helping people and now I've given it a name and it, it's it's doing amazing things. And then four years ago, I grew up in the theater and I, I had the most wonderful opportunity also through an incredible set of happenings that showed it should happen and, and led it to happen we put on a two-act theatrical production using contemporary dance and voiceover and visuals and all sorts of things on depression, suicide and solutions. And we used excerpts from Jenny's diary and a few of my writings and all sorts of things. And it it was really well received from people who didn't understand what It felt to be suicidal from the people who did, who went, ah, long lost, we're being understood, and overall, what it's like to be the carer of the person who's feeling compromised, because that's the other side that gets forgotten. The carers take a lot of flack. And, and then the solutions, and then it got, it got invited to be performed in Europe and we're wanting to franchise it worldwide as another charity. And then last of all, on this whole timeline, Jenny died on the 10th of October, which is World Mental Health Day. And so we now have World Jenny's Day, using theatre and the arts to start new conversations that are very soft. When you use theatre and the arts, it takes a contentious subject and softens it and gets everybody to relax and express and feel natural. And we're now going into the third World Jenny's Day this year, using theatre and the arts.
0: Well, that's something that I feel very close to, the notion of transmuting something into art so that people can be both more intimate with it and less immediately affected by the weight of it. You know, we talked a little bit about humor and what I do is I equate humor and humanity in the same vein. That humor is meant to heal and alleviate and break barriers and break fear. Humor's like a like a like a heavy rock that breaks fear. But when it, if you imagine fear as some kind of horrible monster, and this big enormous rock falls on this monster, and the monster's eyes roll around, that's funny to us. Like I could see possibly a a stage show that you mentioned that some of the perspectives are forgotten. The perspective of the parent, the perspective of the person who takes their life, we often will never understand. We feel we're at a loss. If there's a higher power, if there's a God, if there's a creator or a mother of the universe, that we wonder how could terrible things happen. But we don't think about the perspective of that being. We just take it for granted that it's either some non-existent figment of our imagination or it's some evil jerk that that is doing these things. But Theater would allow us to explore these things with with humor um, in the right place because humor is also a way for us to laugh at something. We'll do it involuntarily. Someone slips on a banana peel, and we and we and we laugh involuntarily because we're releasing the the fear or the pain. Do you think that? In the case of something like Suicide, that there is an avenue or room for theatrical exploration of this in a way that that demystifies it somewhat.
1: Absolutely. In actual fact, obviously, the con- a lot of the content of that show was quite emotional in an uplifting way. But I realized, you know, rather like Shakespeare realized he needed the clowns or the jesters to come in and there needed to be humor in between scenes. I realized that we needed it in that production by way of example, but still giving over the, the message that is really very impactful and important and serious. And interestingly enough, the the piece that I chose for that was about the carers and the family having to keep quiet. Because one of the things Jenny did was, she she silenced us all and said, "You're not allowed to tell anybody that I'm going through this." And so I wasn't even allowed to talk to my best friend in case it triggered her to to commit suicide. And that's a very lonely place. And also, it leads to that. That manipulation of what you can and can't do uh, as a family. So we 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 put in a, a piece, a, a com a comic piece, using the song "Sunshine and Lollipops," and it just was perfect because it brought everything up a beat had people laughing at how everybody was running around double time like in a nineteen twenties movie after after yes. this this person that's just sort of not doing anything and they'd move her and it was that sort of thing, but it got the message over. So absolutely yes.
0: Well that's interesting and affirming, you know, to hear because I think that um what you're describing in some of these situations is a hostage situation. The fear that somebody might do this once it is known or expressed is a weapon for them and an inhibitor for the person who hears it. And, you know, maybe through theater, through music, through humor, and we see this in songs and we see it, you know, we see it in other, in other art forms that we can start to think about things instead of reacting to them can start having a thought process go on. So you have a son. How many children do you have? Heather,
1: I'm the mother of four, two boys, two girls. So I have two sons. The son with me that was with me for Jenny's ashes is my second son. And I have a younger daughter, Jenny's, Jenny's younger sister, and, a, and an older brother, Neil as well. So... Yeah, four, and they're all in their, well, Catherine's in her late 20s, and Stuart and Neil are in their 30s, and and, and Stuart is 40 this year. It's like, really? And Jenny would have been 33 this year. It's like, I don't know where these years go.
0: No, and what do they do?
1: Stuart is actually a, a systems architect. Uh, with an ad agency. F- and uh, so they, they, he's all the IT side of all the ads and amazing heads it up. Neil is in the African bush. He was in Botswana in the Okavanga Delta. He's now almost into the Mozambique border in South Africa and looks after guests and has a lot to do with wildlife and the ecology. And so I have two grandchildren who who think life is about animals killing each other and it's all fine and that that's another story that cracked me up when I was with them a couple of months ago where we were playing cars and animals on a you know where you've got the diner and the shop and all on a and a mat and I had I chose an elephant and I, I, I was the elephant driving the car to the shops at what what do you eat? Oh, well, you eat grass, but I'm a lion, so I need to eat meat, but I've got to kill the kill for the meat. No, 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 I've got my meat. <laughs> so
0: Well, it's the circle of life. Yeah. They're they're just acknowledging what happens in nature.
1: Exactly. And uh, I think the reason why I brought it up and shared it with you is that if if I go away with nothing else, my parting words with this, is that I do believe as human beings, we've become fearful of death. And death must be avoided at all costs. We must only die at a certain age. Yet 70 years ago, people dying in their seventies were old. Now that's young. So does that mean that the people 70 years ago died at 70, died too young when everybody then said they were old? Or, or when's the right time to die? And we change that goalpost all the time. So the fact that you've got to avoid at all costs till you decide when a good time is to die, the, the fact that in the jungles and in the savannas and in, out there in the wild, there's no mother of a of a baby, that's lost that baby, that goes, I I should have gone before my baby. Because what, I mean, there is a period of mourning and there is a loss for that mother. If their young one is killed by a lion or another lion kills a lion cub or whatever happens out there, because it is the cycle of life, we've forgotten we're part of that cycle of life. So when people say no mother should bury their child or they were too young. Really? The, you know, it's, it's all part of life and death. And we've forgotten that being born, living, and dying is all part of a beautiful whole happening. Whilst we continue to keep death out of it, it's very attractive to find out why it's not permissible. And does that yeah. make sense? When a person's going, I want to leave the planet, and everybody around them saying, you're not allowed to. It's like saying to a toddler, you see that corner over there? You're so not allowed to go there. Well, guess where they go? It's like, Why can't it be there? What's then? What's happening? You know, I know. And I've seen this time and time again, and you touched on exactly that earlier. When you know that you've got choice to stay or go, it, it's liberating, and I'm not saying you go around saying to everybody, "Please make sure that you know you you could go and, and go." But it, there's been a huge charge on death, and I and I think it's created a lot of stress and worry about something that's natural. And if we could bring death into balance, a lot of mental health challenges would balance as well.
0: I thought of that when you mentioned your grandchildren and I was thinking, yeah, well, they see death all the time. They see animals kill each other and that's what thats what happens in nature. And so they have a healthy fear of danger, but they aren't terrified by the prospect of mortality. And uh, my hope is that we... we we bring out things that know that people don't want to talk about. That's that's if if we dedicated a portion of our day to having uncomfortable conversations. Joked recently that uh, I would love to have people come on my show who have opposing opinions, as long as they come around to see my point of view and agree <laughs> with me ultimately. But, but really, but really. I do want people with divergent opinions. I'm not looking for mirror images of myself. I'm looking for people with answers that that I don't have. And I'm looking for people with opinions that may be uncomfortable to express in another forum. Because we have to force to the forefront an an understanding of the the mysteries of life are... Some of them aren't mysteries. They're just shitty things that we don't really want to talk about, that we don't want to hear about.
1: Because we're, and this is an interesting thing, to finish off that sentence you've just said, and it's because we're in one-sided perception on a picture that has two sides to it, and we get get stuck on the one-sided side as being the truth, and it's only half the truth, and that's why that happens.
0: If we accepted the fact that, at best, each one of us is in possession of half the truth, then we might spend the rest of our time looking for that other piece instead of rejecting its existence. Exactly.
1: Uh, And that is what I looked for after I stepped off that pavement. I started looking for the other side and where where my judgment was blocking, blinding, and distorting me from seeing that whole picture.
0: Yeah, and it seems that to circle back to to your own disparity for a moment where you were struggling with that after Jenny's passing, you were you were experiencing some of the some of the same hopelessness some of the same feeling of uh, you know suicidal thoughts and what i have found is when i get down and when i start to experience despondence or whatever it might be that the something will flip that switch back and and not only does it flip it back but it it flips it all the way back like was going through a tough time and feeling depressed and then i had to go fly somewhere and there's terrible turbulence and i'm like jesus christ i don't want to die in the plane i don't want this plane to go down you know and i'm so terrified i'm so terrified that the plane's going to go down and before i got on the plane i was having all these negative self-talk experiences about how i sucked and how everything was terrible and you know, and how was I, how was I, you know, I've just felt terrible. And then the plane starts to shake and I realize, you know, oh, well, I must not really be that down on myself if I'm so intent on preserving my life on this flight. And also it can be something good that happens. And, but again, all I can think is that the conversations are better had than not you know Agreed. we 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 may be held hostage by the fear of somebody doing something terrible to themselves, but as a whole as a society, if we can start to put everything on the table, then it may take away some of that leverage and some of that fear, like you say, the fear of death the the apprehension about death if we can overcome it in some way it doesn't mean we want everybody to go out and kill themselves god forbid it means we want everybody to to start to see the entire expanse yeah you know
1: so that one can be comfortable in one's one's own skin without having to leave the planet that that's the big thing and i think what you've just said if you say to have those conversations is the first big step. The next is what I have seen is that when you can have a conversation that doesn't roller coaster between fear and judgment, which is where most of us go when we're angst-filled. Definitely, if I had the skills back then that I have now to converse and communicate, I listen differently now. And I respond differently from an inner place where my wisdom is. Whereas before, I was too distracted, roller coastering between all my thoughts and emotions, that I couldn't access that inner wisdom. So, when you can start new conversations that don't come from knee jerk reactions, that come from the truth and the light, so you can authentically speak your truth and the person can hear and feel that you're not saying it to hurt, you're not saying it to destroy, you're not saying it out of fear, you're not saying it because you're judging, you're saying it because it's your truth. And they're in a place where they're not in knee-jerk reaction from past whatever it is that's got them to respond out of that place of centered inner wisdom so they're responding from that that roller coaster of emotions and feeling inadequate and when that starts happening and i'm seeing it happen more and more the more i do this work that people are having authentic conversations once they've got the skills to deal with the roller coastering overwhelming thoughts and emotions that distract them from their inner wisdom, and that's the and, work that i do
0: and and what did Jenny express in terms of judgment and feeling inadequate what was because that is another thing we we see is a a you know, these days, ideas of perfection and judgment and social media, the ability to destroy one another virtually.
1: Yeah. She used to say that. She used to say, I feel so judged and I feel unheard. I, I, I feel judged, unheard, and I feel like I can't accurately con- express myself. She used to say to me, "Mum, my throat is always tight. Because I feel like I, the wrong things come out my mouth and people say the wrong things back to me. Those, those were the things that used to bother her the most was she could not accurately express herself without fear of judgment and retribution and loss and and that you... oh, was her constant conversation I, I can't talk nobody understands me and i can't express myself accurately
0: and how accurate do you think that assessment was
1: very very accurate it, it was her truth in trying to and here's another one trying to understand <laughs> what she felt and she'd tell me, you know, this one said that and then and then I felt common and I went, but Jenny, everybody feels like that. We all feel like somebody's judging us and it's not fair. And and she went, but mum, I'm not everybody Right. Because what? we can so easily whitewash it and say, well that's how everybody is, so get over yourself. And each person Requires the skills to uniquely understand what it is that they're roller coastering on. And then it doesn't matter what other people think or say or do anymore. That's the other thing that happens when you work on yourself and all those uh, sometimes hidden judgments, and you start understanding the value of that which you were judging as unacceptable and loving and, and lovable and you start seeing where there's equal amount of acceptance and lovability in that which you were previously judging, you become very centered and present. And suddenly, it doesn't matter what other people think, say, or do. I've worked with quite a few teenagers on social media issues where they could hardly operate without, A, their phone to find out how many likes they had, and B being destroyed when they found that people were not only not giving them the likes, but were not being very nice about them. They're going around now, going, "I don't it, whatever they think of me is their issue." Those are the words they're now using.
0: So you're able to get through to them, to some of these people, to help them understand that judgment isn't their problem, and that they're not responsible for what other people. Think of them.
1: It's a really interesting scenario. What the what I do is I, I am the giver of the tools for them to do that. So they start working it. I don't do it. I give them the tools and I show them how to find hone those tools. And what happens is, whatever we judge in ourselves as being unloved or unlovable or unacceptable we try and be the opposite to it so that we can be perfect. So we shut down half of who we are, basically, as unacceptable and unlovable. So anything we shut down and judge as not part of who we are, we're going to attract people and circumstances into our lives that reflect exactly that which we judge in ourselves. And in effect, they become our inadvertent teachers. Those people and circumstances. But whilst you haven't got the tools to deal with that dynamic, it just feels like you're being threatened and attacked. When you've got the tools and you start seeing that they are a reflection of yourself and that it's working on yourself, on that which you judge, and you start loving that which you previously judged, when you're in a place of self appreciation, it doesn't matter what other people think. Because your heart's open and you're understanding, oh, okay, that bigger picture, oh, they reacted like that because that's what's happening at home. It has nothing to do with me. This, they, you can see, they can see that bigger picture instead of it being all about them.
0: It's complex, though, right?
1: Not when they it's do not, it. Uh... It's, it's complex to explain. But when. When a person starts working with me, within half an hour, that's why I call it the epiphany process. Within a half an hour, they're going, oh my word, Oh, oh my word, I never thought about it that way. Never, ever. Even when I ask the questions, they go, I've never been asked a question like that before. And it gets the unconscious consciousness to awaken to where the truth is. And well, it
0: blows them. It's like you like you had have said that depression was your savior. So so it was by opening yourself up to the full reality of your emotions and what you were experiencing that you were able to it's almost like turning judgment on its ear. Yes. Like you're like you're saying, I want to I'm gonna judge the emotions. I'm gonna judge them fairly, but I'm going to examine and judge these emotions and see what I can take from it. It's not something being be done more, to me.
1: It's even more than that, because that's still quite analytical and in the brain, and then still suppresses the feelings. But it's when you understand with wholehearted acceptance that all that you are and all that you aren't is fine that there's perfection in the imperfection and imperfection in the perfection and each serve each other to the same degree that they don't. And when you get to that feeling, both both the, the head and the heart are having complementary conversations with each other instead of opposing. So you're not just in your head logicalizing and you're not in your emotions being over-emotional. The two are conversing. It's huge.
0: Well, Janetta Barry, thank you so much for being on this show. It's it's an honor for me, and I always look at these things in terms of steps towards something. Uh, and I really hope that your message gets out to more people and your methods get out to more people because, first of all, when something helps and works and heals you want to share it and that's what you've been trying to do and secondly because the way you present present all of this is soothing and and inspiring and it's an incredible tribute to jenny and to her memory that you do this
1: well thank you i I thank you for the opportunity In this type of forum, because it's not very often one can have a deeply meaningful conversation like this in a podcast or in an interview. So for me, this has been a very inspiring opportunity to converse with you. So I thank you. And also for people out there to hear things differently, because normally the same things are said and the same things are asked. And I love we were outside the box today. So thank you.
0: Thanks so much for tuning into Truth Tastes Funny. If you enjoyed the experience, please leave a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends.